0: Hey, guys, it's just me today doing our daily podcast pledge drive. Please become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com if you haven't already. As I've said in other episodes, we have tens of thousands of listeners according to Internet statistics and maybe even 100,000 listeners, but probably conservatively something like thirty, forty thousand. 40,000 And yet we only have 162 patrons of the podcast, so please become a patron of the podcast. It doesn't cost much, and know that your money is helping us to produce this thing because it takes a lot of our time, and it takes a lot of effort, and if you like the podcast and you want us to take it to the next level, please become a patron. Plus you get access to our exclusive episodes, plus you know that your pledge is partially going to the charities that we support. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. In these daily podcasts, I'm just going to talk off the top of my head on some random issues. And today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how therapists should disclose to their clients what they're diagnosing them with. There, it's It's a... It's a standard practice, not standard in an official way, but it's a common practice, I guess I should say, uh, that therapists, in in order – let me explain. In order to justify treatment to insurance agencies, to medical insurance, in order for medical insurance to pay for therapy, you have to, as a clinician, diagnose your clients. And so what will happen is – and I used to do this in the beginning of my career – is a client would come to me and I would assess them briefly and I would find a diagnosis that was legitimate and I wouldn't tell the client that I diagnosed them and then I would submit the diagnosis to the medical insurance and the medical insurance would start paying for the treatment. And then uh, later on in my career, I started uh, thinking much more collaboratively And uh, in a a postmodern way, and I was trying to really be as as much of an open book as possible with my clients to demote me on the power structure and to also help clients to empower them with information and with their own lives to help them be more autonomous by telling them what the diagnosis was or actually to some extent even giving them a choice about what diagnosis I submitted. Because often when clients uh, come to me, there are a number of different diagnoses that they might qualify for depending on the spin that I put to the information that they're telling me and depending on how severe we both interpret their, uh, their presentation. And so I will work collaboratively with clients and say, okay, well, it sounds like you fit criteria for these two diagnoses. Which one seems to fit better for you and which one would you want to be submitted to the medical insurance? And for some people, uh, they soup, They really, really enjoy this conversation. And for some others, they're just like, they don't really care. But most people, most clients will say to me, so are you saying that if I've been in therapy before and used medical insurance, that those therapists diagnosed me? And I would say, "Well, yes, they had to have that had to have diagnosed you, and I like that." And they said, "Well, my, my previous therapist never talked with me about the diagnosis, and now I'm curious what, what they diagnosed me with. And are you telling me that they submitted that diagnosis to the medical insurance and there's a record of this unknown d- mental disorder that is on record with my men- with my medical insurance? And I, I would say, well, I, I don't know for sure, but, but yes, in all likelihood. And this is quite upsetting to them. And they should be upset. I mean, if, if you are out there and you've been in therapy before and you don't know and you used medical insurance, which you likely did, and you were not told what, di- what, what diagnosis was applied to you, Don't, aren't you a little bit curious about what's now, in all likelihood, having a diagnosis on record with your medical insurance will have zero effect on your life. Unless you want to become a CIA agent or an FBI agent or work for the government at some really highly, uh, high national security level, then it it it's just a non issue it never comes up but at the same time wouldn't you be curious as to what what was being said about you also you know if you go to a physician they will tell you your diagnosis right they'll say you have strep throat and here is the treatment for strep throat well it's 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 responsible to do that and it's ethical i think to to do that and to to inform your clients what's happening, and what they're suffering from, and what you're treating them for, and so so yeah, uh, if you're a therapist out there, I recommend that you work collaboratively with with your clients regarding this. There's sort of an art form to it that I have developed over time. Uh, it's not perfect, but I, I find it to be very quick. I can do it within a few minutes, uh, and I often have clients emerging from that conversation quite happy with the the result. So that is the first thing I wanted to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about is I, I have worksheets here that my supervisees fill out and ask questions, and I, I just sort of I'm just going to read off them in a general way and not reveal anything about the supervisees or the clients they're talking about. So I'm just reading this one. And so in general, I have a question here from a supervisee. She's, she's saying, so I, I was referred at my agency a, a child with autism and with mild autism. And so I am wondering how I, how I should treat this person. And let me just say, uh, for whatever reason in my field, in the family therapy field, we get referred people with autism frequently because it's a, you know, somewhat common issue and it uh, often is necessary for a therapist to be involved. But let me tell you this. Autism is a very specific condition and requires very specific training and expertise and supervision regarding its treatment. And we need to stop referring people with autism to just general therapists. We need to start referring them to specialists. And there are absolutely specialists. And we need more specialists frequently, I mean, uh, frankly. So uh, unless you have specific training and supervision regarding autism, then my recommendation is to refer them somewhere else. Now, if they're extremely mild autism then, uh, then you, you probably don't need to worry about it. Uh, but if they, uh, fit firmly in the camp of autistic, then to some extent, um, you should be, uh, referring them to a specialist. Having said that, I myself have occasionally worked with people with mild autism and found success. So I don't know, but, uh, but I guess it's just my, my it's a political opinion that I have that we need to have more specialists. We need to advertise more specialists, we need to train more specialists in our field, not just in autism, but in other issues as well. And we need to start routing particular issues to those specialists. Another thing that this supervisee says is I, I asked them about a lot of things. I asked them about what kind of questions they want to know on this worksheet or questions they want to ask. I asked them about what they feel good about and what they feel bad about and what kind of counter transference they've been having. And and the one mistake that she says that she made this week was making assumptions. She says it's like this week I made a mistake by making assumptions. So usually what this means is that as a therapist, you're listening to your client and instead of inquiring more about the client's experience or what the client means by something or what's really happening in a client's life, you as a therapist just start making assumptions and you, you start think you, you, you do shortcut listening. Maybe that's a phrase I should start using. You, you listen with shortcuts, You hear one or two things and you assume a bunch of other things instead of asking more questions to really find out. And you might have heard me talk about the phenomenological uh, approach to therapy to be very curious and to never assume and to really make sure by being very inquisitive with a client about, about what they're saying. For instance, a client comes and says, Uh, oh, my God, today I'm so depressed. I'm I'm just so depressed. It's just, I don't know, my life really sucks. Well, unless you investigate what the client means by depressed, then you really have almost no idea what they mean by that. Now, you might have a certain meaning of what depressed means, but take it from me, people have very different definitions of what depressed means. So, so if I heard that and I was making assumptions I would say oh the person is sad doesn't have any energy is hopeless is uh kind of uh yeah low energy sleeping too much this sort of thing but to another person that could mean that they are I don't know bored or they're extremely stressed out, or something, and so you have to ask. Yeah, you, ha- you can't. You don't want to make assumptions, and that's what this. So you, that's what this supervisee is saying: is that she made a mistake by making assumptions. I don't know what happened as a result of making those assumptions, but but she's identifying that, and that's a. I, I commend her for being able to identify that as a, a mistake. All all therapists make mistakes. Uh, every now and then, or frequently, I should say, we uh, we we make mistakes frequently, and there's nothing wrong with making that that mistake, as long as we recognize it and do things to correct for it as best we can, then we're good. Another supervisee, I asked her about any countertransference she's been having, and she said that a client came to came to session wearing what some might consider inappropriate. And I felt uncomfortable when I saw her, when I first saw her. So this is something that sometimes happens, and uh, sometimes we talk about this in supervision. It's a cultural thing, and it's a debatable thing, and it's, uh, it depends on the situation sort of a thing. But in general, as adults, uh, therapists are adults, right, and often come from particular backgrounds— shall we say, middle class, privileged backgrounds. Not all the time, but but frequently. And when we have a client, say a, you know, a fourteen year old, that comes into session dressed in a very, you know, somewhat revealing way, shall we say, then it's normal as a human being in our culture to have a reaction to that. To to say, oh, she's dressed very uh inappropriately, quote unquote. Well, as therapists, we need to contemplate that reaction. We need to think about what does that reaction mean? Am I coming from a cultural place? Am, am I imposing my cultural values on the client? Am I having some sort of counter-transferential moment that is being provoked by the client? Is the client trying to provoke something in me? How am I going to approach this? What's the What's the therapeutic thing to do? How does this fit into the arc of therapy with this client. Because if one does not co- contemplate those various questions and you just react off the cuff, then you might say something like, oh boy, you're, you're dressed inappropriately today. Did you know that? Then that could damage the relationship. It could play into the counter-transference. It could become a, a non-corrective moment for the client. It could be oppressive to the client in terms of you uh, imposing your cultural value on them. There, there's all sorts of problems with just reacting, and so you really just have to contemplate: What am I? Where where is this coming from? Do I need to say anything? It might even be corrective—a corrective emotional experience—to say that you like the the outfit, even though you think it's "quote unquote" inappropriate. The thing that I often tell novice therapists is: You are not your clients' parents. You're not a parent to your clients. You are their therapist, and that's a very different role. You're not their teacher. You're not their uncle or their aunt. You're not their friend. You are their therapist. And a therapist is a very unique relationship in that we are not there to tell clients what to do. We are not there to, you know, if if your child was dressed, quote-unquote, inappropriately, then it's your responsibility to make them dress appropriately. <laughs> um, you should, as a parent, contemplate things as well, but it's not—it's uh, not always necessary because you're the parent and you dictate a lot of things in the child's life. You tell them when they eat dinner and when they go to bed, and and you don't necessarily need to think about the cultural implications. Okay, <laughs> but as a therapist. It's not your job to tell clients what to do, and it's not your job to guide them on specific behaviors. That's, that's the job of their parents. That's the job of their community. What your job is is to provide treatment and therapy, and that involves quite a different mindset when approaching people. And so if a child is dressed, quote-unquote, inappropriately, then you really just have to think uh, what that means and how you're going to approach that. And this supervisee is wise to notice that she had that reaction and that uh, that's countertransference and not necessarily therapeutic. All right, well, that does it for another uh, short daily episode of Psychology in Seattle. Please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. If you do that, we will love you very, very much. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You very, very much do deserve it.